Welcome to Detoxicity. This is a podcast in which I try to change the narrative around masculinity a little bit and allow some progressive voices and some interesting voices, diverse voices, to come into the picture. My name is Mike Joseph. I host and produce this show, and I thank you very, very much for listening and for supporting from the bottom of my heart. It means a lot. Now, if you enjoy this podcast, I hope that you are subscribing to it. If you aren't, please press the subscribe button on wherever it is you're listening to it, and uh, that way you'll get episodes on demand when they come, uh, which is usually on Wednesday mornings. I also certainly ask that you uh, spread the word. Uh, please rate the podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen. Um, make sure you leave a comment if you have something nice to say or if you have something constructive to say. It doesn't all have to be nice. And by all means, tell your friends, tell anyone who you think might get some creative juice or inspirational juice or just would uh, you'd like to listen to this please spread the word uh, however you can i am on social media if you would like to follow me i am on instagram at detox pod guy uh, my twitter is on hiatus for a little bit it will come back but it is tis mike joseph feel free to follow me on either of those platforms there is also facebook.com slash detoxicity and if you have a comment you can email me detoxpod at gmail.com I am always on the lookout for new guests, so if you know somebody who you think has an interesting story to tell or something to add to the overall conversation around detoxifying masculinity, please reach out to me via any of those platforms, and certainly if you yourself would like to be a part of this podcast, please reach out, let me know. Once again, I thank you for listening. Jared Pease is a musician and a music teacher, originally from Richmond, Virginia, now based in New York City. Uh, our conversation covers quite a bit personally and professionally, from Jared's ongoing journey as an adoptee to watching a close family member suffer with addiction issues. Uh, we also talk about the perception of whether being a musician is a quote-unquote real job and discuss stress relief through playing the drums. I'm very happy to bring you my conversation with Jared, and I hope you enjoy it. I'm Jared Pease. I am a performing musician in New York. I've worked the last six years mostly as a drummer. I've toured throughout the country. I'm currently working to build a record label down in Puerto Rico, which is I'm very excited about. And I've just recently started producing bands and really digging into some of my more hippie tendencies. <laughs> What do your hippie tendencies entail, Jared? Oh, man. Oh, the handpan stuff. I've recently ended up with singing bowls. So it's basically a brass bowl that you put on a little pillow, and it has a... I guess it's kind of like a wooden... It's almost like a drumstick. And you strike it, and then you basically rub it around oh! the edge. Oh! Yeah. I thought you meant, like, someone actually, like, vocalizing into... Oh. Bowl or making noises with their voice and having it ricochet off the bowl or some weird shit like that. Yes, I, I, I bought a person that sings into a I bowl. Mean, or like a bowl that you like, you sing into and your voice comes out sounding weird or whatever. I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, no. I, I, so, something around there. And bowl and I put them together. <laughs> no. So, in the time that I've known you, and for the sake of people listening to this podcast who don't know you... You and I have known each other for a minute. Uh, mm -hmm. We're friends. This isn't just, a, hey, I'm a random person jumping on your podcast. We have a relationship. You have an interesting birth slash origin story that is unique, I think, to many of the guests that I've had here. So I don't know if you wanted to talk about that at all, because I, I found it interesting. We, we can absolutely talk about that. Yeah. I mean, you and I were both adopted. I was um, not adopted. So my issue, I was not adopted. Oh, I was right. raised by my grandparents. That's um, right. But never, never like officially adopted or anything like that. Got you, got you. Well, I was adopted. Now that we've at, gotten that at, awkward moment out of the way. Whatever. <laughs> at birth? Uh, yes. My brother and I both were adopted at birth. Still say it's the only good thing the Catholic Church ever did. But yeah, my brother and I, we were adopted into the same family. We have the same birth mother, different birth fathers. Okay. That's been really interesting, just that whole dynamic. I've been digging a lot into it recently in, in therapy, so that's just been a, a trip and a half. I bet. Yeah. Do you, are you aware of who your birth parents are? 
I'm aware of who my birth mother is. I believe she still lives in Jersey, so not far away. No? I mean, uh, New Jersey's big. New Jersey is big. That's true. Yeah. But, yeah, I know of her, and I know my birth father basically disappeared after my conception. My brother's, I mean, he stuck around for a while, so my brother and I have, for him, three full sisters, for me, three half-sisters that we've never met. Wow. Yeah. You want to know something even weirder, though, right? What's, what's that? I did one of these 23andMe things, right? And turns out there is someone living in the neighborhood I grew up in that I am first cousins with by blood. Okay. And, that, and you did not grow up in New Jersey. You grew up in Virginia, right? Yeah. So I have a first cousin by blood that is growing up in the neighborhood that I grew up in as a kid. Because 23andMe is really creepy. I mean, yes, <laughs> but also really good. Yeah, there's great things about yes. it, definitely. Are you interested in contacting this person? That person, no, not particularly. I, I've been thinking about it a lot, and I'm almost 100% certain I'm going to try and contact my birth mother over this summer. Okay. Is my plan. So, I mean, it was a closed adoption, so basically... I have to reach out to the adoption agency, and they'll reach out to her, and she'll say yes or no, and they'll re relay that information to me. That's intense. A little bit, yeah. How do you feel about that? There, there's a lot of emotions there. That was definitely something I always wished I would do with my brother, but with everything he's going through, and the fact that he's a stubborn, emotionally repressed person i love i love him to death yeah I, you I, know yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't doubt that for one minute so the better part is knowing that i'm not going to be doing it with him but with what he's going through honestly he shouldn't he's dealing with his own world sorry about that that's my phone that i forgot to turn off so we'll see how that goes i don't know how long that process takes obviously i've never done it before right but i'm, I'm excited i think this could be a lot of fun it could be really creepy, it could be really disappointing, it could be amazing and exciting. I don't know. I think you gotta prepare yourself for every potential outcome that could happen. That's what I'm working on doing right now. It's definitely been a bit of a journey. Right, yeah, you, you don't know. Did you always know that you were adopted or was there a moment, did they hit you when you were 10 and like, hey Jared, sit down, we gotta have a conversation with you? Honestly, I, I didn't always know. My parents did tell me, but I, I couldn't tell you how old I was. I couldn't tell you if we were sitting at the dinner table or if we were in a car. It just happened very naturally, and I really, really appreciated that because I think back on it, and it feels like I've always known, even though I know I wasn't. I was probably... Yeah, 7 to 10, that okay. age range. Alright. So, conscious enough to understand, but young enough to feel like it's been my whole life. And I really appreciated that from my parents. That was great. Do you feel like you missed out on anything? Are you happy that you were adopted? Or do you feel like you've missed out on something by not knowing your birth parents? Knowing the information I know about... My birth parents, I, I guess it's kind of another bittersweet thing. I am happy. Like, I know my birth mother had her first daughter, one of my three half-sisters, when she was 18. Okay. I think her and my brother's birth father were high school sweethearts. From what my parents told me and what I remember, I think it's that age-old story, the quarterback and the cheerleader uh -huh. okay. uh, in New Jersey. <laughs> It's a Bon Jovi song. It's yeah, like right. Fifteen Bon Jovi songs, actually. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so I know they were not in a great financial space after having three daughters and my brother, who they gave up for adoption, and then me. That's a lot of strain to put on someone there. Five kids. Yeah, yeah. So I'm happy in the regard that she saw the lifestyle she was going to be able to give me and the lifestyle that she wanted for me. I was also kind of the surprise. Oops. I remember, like, my parents always talk about, oh, yeah, we adopted your brother, and then 15 months later, the 
the church called and was like, hey, guess what? And I was born on Friday the 13th. My parents were told I existed on the Ides of March. And then when the, I don't know, the baby delivery guy, I guess they have a car service. I don't know. I don't know anything about adoption. That sounds very strange to me, but I... Same, same. But baby, what I was told is that this gentleman was driving me to my parents' house and he got lost. And he calls my parents like, hey, I'm trying to find your place. I'm lost. I'm at this diner. And my dad just goes, yeah, oh, yeah, I know where that is. We'll come and get them. So my dad always says, yeah, we got steak and eggs and took a baby. Took a baby home. Yeah. Of course, this is long before GPS means that you never get lost anymore. Yes, this is 1992. Christ. Uh, <laughs> I imagine what I'm thinking. Yeah. I, I, there were a lot of things that I was doing in 1992. Not me. I, I, I was just getting popped out. Right. Yeah, like I'm old enough to be your dad. Yeah, I always forget that. Theoretically. Theoretically, yeah. Yeah, that's that's creepy. I don't even want to think about that anymore. I, I, I don't know if you know this, Mike, but... Well, <laughs> obviously, for, for several obvious reasons, I could not be your dad. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you are translucent. Yeah, I burn in tanning boots. Like, <laughs> so, uh, do you have a good relationship with your adopted parents? Yeah, it wasn't always like that. Nowadays, it's it's a lot lot better. Were you were you a bad kid? Yeah. Okay, El- elaborate. I'm curious what what that entailed. Oh, what can I say on recording? <laughs> Nothing that's gonna get you locked up, please. I don't want to have that on my conscience. Any anything and everything I participated in that was criminal activity was as a juvenile so I was overall a good kid I just happened to have some friends that knew where to buy black powder on the dark web and we would go into the middle of the woods and we would fill a medicine container with black powder and put a fast burning fuse into it bury it and blow it up that's that's just dumb kid shit it's not like you were robbing 7-elevens and shit I again we, we made a lot of bad decisions, and I am very grateful that my brother and some of my friends, basically, we were getting involved in all this shit, vandalism, blah, 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 and I stopped at a certain point. My brother and some of my friends ended up getting charged and spent some time in juvenile detention, which was not easy, I can't. I can imagine it not being easy. Yeah, so... Between that and being involved in music and punk rock at an early age, it was a lot of stuff that my parents didn't necessarily want me to be around. I mean, I grew up in the suburbs of Richmond, Virginia. There are some not very nice parts of Richmond. I can remember going to buy weed, not that I would ever do that while weed was illegal, with my brother. No one's thinking about that now. And, like, we would drive out to some random person's house and we'd be getting cat whistled at and I'm just like we're 16 there's a lot of things wrong yeah with there's that. a lot of things wrong with that yeah but it sounds like music is the thing that really separated you and put you on a better path which is kind of weird because my first exposure to playing shows and Recording music. The first guy that ever paid me to record his record, that's a story, man. That guy's a... He's a war veteran, recovering heroin addict, and I was making his record. And one day, he shows up at my parents' house. Mind you, this guy's in his mid to late 30s. I am 16, 17. And he shows up at my house. He's on the phone with his wife. He puts it against his chest. He's like, I, you know... I need you to tell my wife that I took $300 out of her purse to pay you. And I was like, this the is... Fuck? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it gets... Stranger, I guess. That was our last session, thank Christ. After that happened, I finished the record, and he told me to bring it to him at work. At Taco Bell. Okay. And I showed up, 
and turns out he didn't show up for a shift that so I come in asking for him manager didn't realize he didn't show up until I came in asking after he told me to come looking for him and he actually blamed me for him getting fired and he had a wife and two or three kids and later on he unfortunately ended up overdosing on methadone Jeez. oh yeah and his his wife she was trying to get in touch with me for a long time and I was like I not responding to you because probably a good idea i'm a fucking child right you're, you're a minor <laughs> yeah but eventually while i was in college she sent me another email and i thought to myself you know what i definitely still have that record on an external hard drive somewhere so i went digging through them and i found his album and I was so happy that I still had it because I ended up emailing her back and being like, sorry, I never responded to you. I was a child, but this is your late husband's album that we made together, and I hope it gives you and your kids something to remember him by. Right. So that was interesting. I mean, that started off scary as hell, but ended nice warm ending there as warm as it can be definitely and that was definitely a lot of my experience with music growing up i had a few too many friends pass away from drugs or one guy died unfortunately from aids from a shared needle oh wow yeah and all this is happening before i'm 18 how does that shape you was the culture around you very much a drug culture? Parts of it definitely were. I started drinking and smoking weed much too young. It was probably the 13 to 16 range. I remember having my first drink and I was like, I really like this. Huh. I should not do this. You know what's funny? For a long time as a kid, I hated the taste of alcohol. Yeah. It wasn't until... I started drinking properly, I guess, when I was 17. But before that, I was like, eh, beer's gross. I'm not going to drink any of that shit. It's nasty. But I know in more suburban and rural environments, people start drinking and doing shit like that early. So 13 to 16 doesn't really feel like a young age, necessarily. Just based on the experiences of a lot of the people that I know, it seems like the time when most people start. Yeah, I feel like that's the thing about growing up where I grew up. There's nothing to do. Right, and I think that's part of it, is just there's not shit to do other than get in trouble. Absolutely. Honestly, looking back on it, it should have been a 70s or 80s movie, because all we did was go to the shopping mall. Right. That's that's all there was to do. Right. You go to the shopping mall and you spend your parents' money because you're 15. Right. And you have nothing else to do. And in terms of the people that I that grew up in my neighborhood, definitely contributed a lot to that. Which, like, looking back on it now, I still hate that place. <laughs> like, so, to get a clearer picture, was it a situation where it was like, we don't have anything to do because we're bored, or we don't have anything to do because we're poor? Because I think those are two separate things that happen in those environments. It was definitely the latter. My family by no means struggled. For me, this actually funnily ties back into the adoption conversation. I remember, even before I knew I was adopted, I had these feelings of, I don't belong here. Mm, It was almost this sixth sense, which I think is a big part of why my parents and I's relationship wasn't great when I was younger because I always kind of felt like I shouldn't have been raised in the place I was raised. I'm talking about Catholic guilt. In my core, in my soul, it was just like I'm growing up with this financial privilege that I never felt like I deserved, which is really interesting looking now when they talk about the new discoveries they've made in trauma and how it's passed down through generations. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, is, is that what this is? It yeah. might be. Were there reasons that you could quantify where you felt like you really didn't fit in but you actually understood why? Or was it always just like, I don't fit in and I don't really understand why 
I don't belong here. There were definitely a few moments when I was a freshman in high school. I was dating this girl at the time, now woman, uh, Monet, and she was a black Muslim woman. And I remember just walking around and having everyone stare at us. Like, jaws to the floor. And I was just like, this this is not right here. And unfortunately, I had far too many of those situations growing up in Richmond, Virginia. <laughs> I had had one experience in Richmond, Virginia my entire life. It did kind of occur to me that Richmond was probably a little bit racist. The city, much less so. Sure, as all cities. Yeah, okay, no. <laughs> Westboro Baptist Church used to make an annual trip to Richmond. Richmond, Virginia? Yeah, because VCU was a sin pit. <laughs> VCU, Virginia... Commonwealth University. I gotcha. Yeah, okay. Was the, it sure what the C stood for? I remember like, during Obama's first campaign for the presidency, there were stories... Mind you, my family is the only family basically in the neighborhood with an Obama sign in the yard. And then just seeing on the local news stories of these kids that went around spray painting on the Obama signs and they were spray painting, hang him. Oh, Jesus Christ. There were aspects, looking back on it now, where I'm just like, that was a horrible environment to grow up in. My dad grew up here. He was born in Brooklyn. My mom was born in the Bronx or raised in the Bronx, one of the two. I just forget if it's the Bronx or Bridgeport. Those are two very different places, bro. <clears throat> I'm well aware. <laughs> they're, very, they're very different yeah. states. Yeah. She, she was in both. Okay. I just don't remember if she was born in Bridgeport or the Bronx or and raised in the other. So I know my parents aren't these, for lack of a better way to put it, assholes. <laughs> not white trash yeah yeah and man I still had so many experiences like that and I'm queer I'm bisexual like I remember you know Day of Silence the yeah protest yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I remember participating in that one year and there was this classmate of mine I'm not gonna say his name but at one point he's like why are you doing this and I just took out a sheet of paper and wrote, I'm bi, and walked away. But yeah, I man. Kudos to you for doing that. You also could have just been like, it's none of your fucking business. Or Absolutely. Because I want to. Absolutely. That's actually kind of a funny story about homophobia. There are, I mean, there are. So sophomore in high school, I was driving to go on a date with a girl. And as I'm driving through the Walmart par parking lot, mind you, to keep that in mind, there's a Walmart parking lot, I see five or six different pickup trucks, and there's people hanging out blaring music, and some guy screams at me, get a haircut, faggot. So needless to say, I was just like, you know what, I'm going to go talk to this gentleman. <laughs> so like, I whipped my car around, and I pulled up, and as I'm getting out, I hear him say to his buddies, don't worry, I have my knife. And I just go up to him and talk to him. I'm like, well, you know, why'd you say that? And he's like, well, I think you should get a haircut. I'm like, well, I'm about to go on a date with a girl, and you're sitting in here in a goddamn Walmart parking okay. lot with all your dude buddies. So What look gayer? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. There was definitely a lot of that. What? So, I'm assuming you already had a plan formulated to get the fuck out. Oh, since I was five years old, I knew I want to move to New York. Period. End of story. When did that dawn? Was it your parents talking about New York? Were they coming back when you were a kid? To yeah. To visit other relatives and shit? Oof. Yeah, my grandmother lived in uh, Morristown, New Jersey, till probably the last five to ten years of her life. So, we'd go up every year, visit my grandmother and my dad is a Broadway fanatic and I mean that he will come to New York for Friday night Saturday and he'll leave on Sunday night just to see shows five shows Jesus oh okay. yeah Friday night Saturday matinee Saturday night Sunday matinee go home Wow oh he is an animal I can't tell you how many times I rolled up to my school with my dad blasting the soundtrack for you're in town like I love it. Yeah. Somehow I ended up playing punk rock between the show tunes and my mom. My mom has great taste in music. She listened to Willie Nelson, ABBA, Etta James. Oh, 
Ray Charles was a big one for her. But you ended up playing punk rock. Yeah. Were you rebelling against something? Definitely. I was definitely rebelling against a lot. There was just this attitude about the people I met growing up I didn't really like. I think back, I really only had like five friends growing up. I didn't really much care for a lot of those people, especially when I got to high school. And for all I know, these people have... If I see him on the street now, we'd be best friends. No one remembers those years or those times exactly the way that they think it was. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, I was rebelling against that. I also just... I was an angry fucking kid, man. <laughs> like, I re- Oh, my God. What were you angry about? Looking back on it, there's definitely a fair amount of it that had to do with the adoption stuff. And also looking back on it, it's just very interesting dynamic with my brother because he was an asshole. Like To um, you or in general? In general, and some days he still is. I've seen him and I've experienced him for the kind-hearted, gentle soul that he is. In his core, he is a really great person. From my perspective he hasn't dealt with a lot of the shit he needs to deal with Mm. to let that be who he actually is but that being said he would bully me a lot growing up and I don't mean like punch me in the face I was much bigger than him I remember I threw the first punch in a face actually (laughs) I punched I punched my brother in the face and he just looks at me and goes you punched me in the face (laughs) actually I did punch you in the face yes Yes, I did. Yes, yes. Thank you, Dr. Watson. But there was definitely a big part of it. It was this culture that ended, like, the punk rock scene and the hardcore scene. And I was just like, this is a place I can go and I can just walk into a pit and wail on a 30-year-old and... Get your anger out. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. and it's going to be fine. And they're probably going to give me a hug afterwards. Probably because I'm 16 and they're 30 and I can't hit someone for shit. Right, (laughs) Um, right. But, but that's such a great way to get the typical aggression out through music, whether it's playing or dancing or community. Yeah, it was definitely a lot of fun. It was a blast. And that kind of goes back to the neighborhood I was raised in and the people I was brought up around. And I was just like, I want to see everything else other than white suburbia. I want to go do that and I still remember to this day when I was a freshman in high school I played a show alongside my freshman algebra teacher whoa yeah that was hysterical a show show oh yeah we were at a venue I I walked up to him and I go Mr. Eads and he looks at me goes you call me Ed that's awesome (laughs) he was a wonderful human being When did you actually pull the trigger and you were like, fuck it, I'm going to New York? Well, initially, my my plan was to go to college here. Okay. Um, And all of those places rejected me. I I was looking at NYU and the new school, and I went to visit NYU. And every person I've met here, it feels like they're just walking around like, the sun shines out of my ass. I mean, it's a prestige school. And also, it costs a lot of fucking money. So yeah. in order to go to NYU, unless you're one of the small number of people that gets in via full scholarship or what have you, yeah. in order to pay for a full four-year tuition at NYU, your parents or whoever has to be loaded. Yeah. So there's a lot of privilege involved with being an NYU student. 110%. And it is still an amazing school. And I was also, what, 17? So I was a bit of a judgmental ass. I mean, you know, as 17-year-olds yeah. are. Yeah. So then I went to college in Boston and stayed there for an extra year waiting for the woman I was dating at the time to graduate and move here together. And we did that. And it was basically you know, pick up and never look back. And she was born and raised in Boston. Okay. So that was really big for her, and that was really rough for her. And I, I showed up here, and I unpacked, and I set up the apartment the day we moved in, and I was out at a jam session that night. Like, and the rest is history. Yeah, I'm going to cut my teeth and be a fucking musician. Right. And I have no regrets about that whatsoever. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. 
I gotta go back to your brother for a second. Do you think the reason he's struggling is because he's dealing with the same issues that you had, but you were working through? Some of the same issues, definitely. I talk about my brother very crassly, but we did go through the same adoption stuff. I think there was a bit more for him. He definitely went through a bit more than I did. I mean, he spent time in juvenile detention. Right. He went to a wilderness school, actually. What's a wilderness school? Basically, it's a high school in the middle of the woods where you have to dig the pit to shit in and, like, cut down trees to build your tent, like, all this crazy junk. I'm assuming that was not his decision. That was not his decision. That was the alternative to more time in juvenile detention Got it. after another incident. I remember him telling me about that spot, and it's like, yeah, like, you can't be creative. It took him a year before he was allowed to have his guitar over there. Right. And this is back when he was still playing guitar. And he came back, he applied to go to the art program at Virginia Commonwealth University, got rejected. And I'll never forget, one Christmas Eve, after all that happened, before he like went to college for a short period of time before dropping out, I got a call from my brother, and he said, I'm sorry, I fucked up. And that was it. That was all I heard from him. And he was working at Kroger at the time, so I was like, I'm going to go find my goddamn brother. Right. And I showed up, and I was like, no, I'm looking for so-and-so. And they're like, oh, yeah, the cops took him away in the back of the truck. So I had one friend I knew I could call. He was a gentleman who actually I apprenticed to repair musical instruments with. And I knew he had a bit of a past. And I was just like, this is where my brother got arrested. Where would he be? And he's like, here's the information. This is the address you need to go to. So I drove there trying to do my brother what would have been the biggest solid of his life and get him out of there without my parents finding out. But I showed up there and I see my dad walking in at the same time I was and I was just like... Missed that opportunity. Merry Christmas. Yeah, so there was the, the juvenile detention stuff, the wilderness school, getting arrested for that. He went to college for a minute, ended up dropping out or flunking out one of the two and he became a tattoo artist and that man is so insanely talented it pisses me off (laughs) i still remember one picture he drew and it's strangely accurate of what he was going through because it was this picture of a concrete room right with a severed eyeball on the floor of the concrete room and a tool rack mounted on the wall and one of these old-fashioned televisions with static. And I'm just thinking back on it, it's just like... the shit he was going Going through. through. I really wish I had that drawing. Because it was great. He did that in middle school, too. Wow. What does it feel like to care about someone but know that you can't get them out of their own fucking way. Frustrating. (laughs) I I would imagine. Depressing. It's enraging at times. It really is just a roller coaster of emotions. Because I remember my brother went to a rehab facility in New Orleans for a minute. That's a weird place to have a rehab facility. Because New Orleans is like... Get fucked up central. Exactly. But apparently all the rehab facilities in Richmond are bullshit. Yeah. Without knowing anything, obviously, uh, that still kind of makes sense. Yeah. So, and after he came back from that, he was in therapy for a minute. And I remember this one day, I was on the phone with him outside of my rehearsal space. And I was like about to start crying. Is like I was talking to a, a person I hadn't spoken with in years. It was just a completely different animal. And then to have that very quickly taken back away from me from his addiction issues was really, really hard. How has therapy helped you? What actually caused you to initially 
seek it. The thing that caused me to initially seek therapy was over the COVID lockdown. I was still with the woman that I moved to Brooklyn with. We were going through a really rough patch. My brother was in a deep, deep hole with his addiction issues. And I couldn't take it anymore. And I, I actually ended up going to the hospital. I checked myself into a hospital because it was, it was too much for me to deal with. And after that, I started to go to therapy. How's that working out for you, Jared? That was fantastic. It honestly has helped in, in more ways than I could possibly say. There's definitely a lot of things I didn't realize I was missing in my life and a lot of things that I wasn't aware of. Like constantly putting myself down, constantly making excuses for people who reminded me of my brother. And most of those people ended up being real fucking bastards. It's been a wild ride, but it really helped me grow into the person I am now, which I've, I've never been happier with. Good. So this mm -hmm. is all pretty recent. Yeah, this is all fairly recent. I had actually been to therapy previously, but never for a consistent uh, length of time. Got it. Like one, a month here, two months there. What keeps you going back this time? Asking hard motherfucking questions, Jared. Uh, yeah, that is one. What keeps me going back now, man? Not wanting to go back to where I was. I look at where I'm at now, and you know, I, I studied music for, at this point, I don't want to think about this. 17 or 18 years, and I didn't feel good about my playing as a drummer until last year. I was constantly second-guessing myself. I was constantly horrendously overanalyzing my playing in every way, shape, or form. And I also was surrounding myself with these people who were taking advantage of me because I, I think I'm a pretty giving person. You're a nice guy. You, you cooked for me. Yeah. Which I, not many people that are not related to me have done it over the course of my lifetime before. So I'm sorry, man. I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy I could do it yes, for you. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. Very much appreciated. <laughs> it was a good meal, but you're a kind person. I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass. And people who are kind obviously put themselves in situations, particularly, I think, because you're a musician and... New York, in terms of creative arts, is very much a dog-eat-dog -dog kind of place that does lend itself to being taken advantage of more often than probably a regular person. I, I would definitely agree with that. I, I feel like you just got to stay on your P's and Q's, you know what I'm saying? It makes you be unnecessarily... I don't know if paranoid is the word that I'm looking for. Really cautious. Skeptical. Skeptical, not trusting distrusting yeah. yeah like that kind of thing but then i was trusting everyone it, that's a weird dichotomy though i think that happens a lot where it's all or nothing you don't trust anybody or you trust everybody yeah that ended up with me trying to make some friendships that i look back on i'm like why the fuck was i Did talking you, to that person yeah. at the same time though it got me a lot of cool opportunities there was so many amazing things that came out of that trust so i don't regret it i do wish i had been able to see people for who they really were and not actually no because it wasn't even that i wish i had been able to trust my instinct mm. because so often i would be meeting people and i'd be like this person treats me like shit oh but Oh, but. Oh, Making but. excuses that, yeah, for everything. Yeah. That's exactly what I did with my brother for so many years. And weirdly enough, that's a perfect example of, of this crap, right? I was saying, I wish I had been able to see who they are, but now I'm saying I wish I had been able to trust my instinct. Because so you do I, see who they are. Yeah. You overrule yourself. Yeah. And I just put the blame back on myself. Right. It was that mentality that led me down that whole thing do you think that in future relationships you will be reminded of this earlier before you fall into the hole of trusting somebody before they turn out to be maybe not necessarily the person that you should be putting your trust into 110 percent. i i closed up my circle real tight 
and I'm not letting people in like I was. And I'm certainly not recommending that you just build this impenetrable wall, but you gotta have I, what they call street smarts, right? You gotta yeah. be able to be a judge of character yeah. and understand when someone might be trying to use an angle on you or something like that. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And I'm not cutting myself off, but I'm just looking at relationships, friendships, and saying, you know what, I've been to see that guy perform a dozen times, and he's not shown up to one of my shows. shows. Right. Why do I keep putting effort into this relationship when there's nothing it's reciprocated? Not reciprocated. Right. Yep, we're on the same page there. It's not easy to do that, by any means. It really fucking sucks. It sucks. And obviously every relationship should be completely like quid pro quo, but if you're putting in maximum effort and the other person is putting in minimum effort, there's a problem. Like, it doesn't need to be 50-50. It's never really going to be 50-50. But if it's 90-10 or 85-15, yeah. you got to be... And that never switches. Right. Because sometimes it can be 90-10. Right, right. And then you get yeah, that 90. there's got to be, again, there's got to be some kind of reciprocation. It doesn't have to be in that moment. It can be over the extent of the relationship, but there's got to be some kind of balance. It can't just be you take, 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 or you give, give, give all the time. Yeah. No, it, it definitely can't be. <laughs> um, one thing that's really funny is you're a drummer mm -hmm. a lot of my friends are drummers Thanks. I've interviewed a lot of drummers on this show I saw you play for the first time about a week ago mm -hmm. and you are so animated and happy when you are playing drums and we're recording this Taylor Hawkins just passed away a day ago and rest in peace yes just known for just being completely animated and bringing like joy to to musical situation when i was talking to you before we started recording you had said something to the effect of the drummer's job is to be the anchor the person that spreads the vibe of the whole show but when i saw you play it, you were a vibe you brought the happy to the show and it didn't feel forced or didn't really feel intentional is that something that's conscious or is it just internal joy that's coming out it's definitely a bit of both. We all put on faces right. at a certain point in life, whether it's at a job or for visiting your significant others, parents that you don't really like, but you just shut up it and Sounds smile. like you're pulling from experience there. No, not that one, but it's stereotype, you know, right. it's in every Hollywood movie. So there's definitely a bit of, I put on that face. I think the thing that I've, I've come to, that, that's just started happening as I put on that face and I've realized a man who's getting paid to hit shit with sticks for a living. That's pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, like, why wouldn't I enjoy this? Borderline, I'm getting paid for therapy. <laughs> I've always wanted to play the drums. More than any other instrument, it feels like the drums have a therapeutic aspect to them. They like do. You're not plucking strings, you're taking out aggression. Definitely taking out aggression, unless you're Playing really soft, sad music. But you could even do it then. Big cymbal crash at the end. Exactly. But there's actually studies done on bilateral movement. So moving both sides of your body at the same time. And how it can reduce depression. Hmm. And drums, I believe, are one of the few things you can do that activates both hemispheres of your brain at the same time. Which is pretty wild. Well, there's such a mathematical aspect to playing drums. Yeah. Your brain does have to be in two places at the same time. And you're moving pretty much every part of your body. Yeah, absolutely. And if I get to write the drum part for a song, I'm going to write something that is going to work for the song, first and foremost. But I, I, I constantly try and challenge myself there. How do I create something that is so unique, that serves the song, and that pushes me in that sense, uses every tool I have at my disposal. And that has actually been the funnest part of all of it. How do I sound like five people at once? <laughs> Without being five people at once? Yeah. I, I don't know what the answer to that question is, Jared. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming yeah. it's rhetorical. But I've had people come up to me, they've told me I sound like I'm three drummers, and I'm like, I don't get that, but thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. If someone walks up to you and says something nice about you, that's a... Uh... Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a few people um, that are giving me compliments. I, I never want to see you again. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
got into a big Facebook argument with one gentleman. He ended it by saying, yeah, it sucks that you're such an asshole because you're a pretty good drummer. Oh, well. Yeah. But yeah, there's definitely that inherent joy in it now. I mean, I've said this to every student I've had. It doesn't matter if you want to play Madison Square Garden or if you want to sit in your mom's basement and play drums for the rest of your life. You have to have fun. Because, as we were saying earlier, if you go to a show and everyone in the band just looks like some sad, mopey motherfucker... <laughs> you're going to be like, why did I spend $50 on this show? Yeah. And there are musicians that I enjoy who make music that's maybe not necessarily the most upbeat or uplifting, but you still get the impression that the musicians are enjoying the experience of being able to play for people. Yeah. And when I think of the further reaches of music, when you talk about free jazz or, or noise music, right, it's hard to just be like, chipper. I'm not going to be chipper, but there's a story. There's an after-hour spot that Berkeley kids go to that's a jazz club, and I don't remember the name of it. Smalls. It might have been Smalls. And I remember I went to Smalls one night with a buddy of mine, and there was this band playing, and I remember taking a picture. This has got to be 10 years ago at this point. And it was like the drummer was in a trance. He's playing, and his eyes are rolled back in his head. And it, they were definitely doing their free jazz. But the drummer in particular was feeling it, feeling it, feeling it. And to me, as a listener, and not a musician, the greatest thing about music is it can just put you in this almost religious, trance-like state. Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, for me, like when I get the chance to play that kind of out music... I'm not I'm not happy necessarily with what I'm doing or what I'm playing but I've definitely come to realize that that style of music for me is just raw emotion. It's nothing but emotion expressed through sound. And I think that is what brings me joy about it. It's like here's an opportunity to not have to put myself in this box of a rock drummer or a jazz drummer or whatever. I don't get paid as a metal drummer all the time. I completely understand why. Because you play like you're three people, Jared. And I'm covered <laughs> in tattoos, which the, But nobody sees those unless, I mean, yeah. But yeah, that moment, none of that matters. None of the, the rules you learn studying music matter. None of the opinions of some asshole that works for Billboard matter. It's just... Now they're never going to cover you in Billboard, Jared. Oh, they're fuck take this that. podcast, didn't they? You're like, he said on the Detoxicity Podcast, fuck Billboard. Th that's a whole different topic of conversation. Right. Like pop music? Like, or like music that gets on the radio. It doesn't have to be pop music. Really. It's such a small box. Yeah, it's a very tiny... You think about now more than ever, yeah. how much music comes out in a given week. And it's thousands and thousands of records. The average radio station playlist, and honestly, Jared, I'm pulling this shit out of my ass because I have not voluntarily listened to the radio since maybe 2010. Good for you. Is maybe 30 songs, 40 songs. Yeah. So out of, even if it's just a thousand songs that come out of, come out of week, 30 songs. It's a very small percentage. It's probably about the same amount as YouTube pays in royalties. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So... I, th I think maybe some people that are trying to break into music don't realize what tiny percentage of a percentage of music actually becomes commercially successful. Yeah. You can always find your niche. You might not be at the Grammys. You might not this, that, or the other, but... There's plenty of people out there who make a living yeah. making music that don't need to sell half a million records. Absolutely. Don't even need to sell 100,000 records. Yeah. You teach. If you're a traveler, you tour around the country, you tour around the world. Yeah. You find a gig that allows you to be a career musician and make a decent living. Absolutely, yeah. Without ever being a pop star or rock star or hip-hop star or whatever the fuck. Yeah, 110%. Kind of the flip side of this, though, I will say I'm very, very inspired by pop music right now. Are you? I I am, and it's not going to be the pop music on the radio, 
I'm sure I've talked to you about this artist, Russ, who I'm just absolutely obsessed with. I've heard of Russ, I think. Really interesting, because he's a rap artist, and his mom was a life coach. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it's okay. just wild, wild perspective. Um, but I look at guys like him, who's completely independent, owns his own masters, and flew an Olympic, a synchronized swimming team out to L.A. to film his own music video that he funded out of his own pocket. You know, and I'm like, that's what we as artists need to be doing. Because, it's what funny. the fuck do we need record labels for anymore? I, yeah, I, like, I, yes. It, it's a much different time than when I first started working in the music business. And there were six major labels, and 90% of the records that sold came through those major labels. This was pre-streaming, pre-downloads, pre-Napster, pre-all that shit. Pre-affordable home recording equipment. Right. Yeah. So it's a much different time, and what the revolutions in technology have done is they have made the pl- they have democratized the playing space. Yeah. So there's obviously still a Rihanna and there's still a Taylor Swift, but there's also still plenty of people who don't need to sign a huge major label contract, and who can build a buzz organically and be successful on their own terms as opposed to the general terms of what the wider public sees as being successful. Definitely. And the the other thing that really inspires me these days is the globalization of all of this. Right. Like, I will sit down and I will listen to BTS. I will listen to Mike Towers. And it is dope. It made me so happy. I was just like, this is what we need in the world, to be exposed to that. Dem- democratization. Yeah. Democratization. Yeah. Use my words. <laughs> but yeah, societally, culturally, we're in the process of fighting this war on equity and equality where it's like, it's not about men and women. It's not about black or white. It's not about straight or gay. It's not about one being less than the other or more than the other. It's about everybody being on the same playing field and everybody being acknowledging of the fact that some people have further to go before they can equal the playing field, which is where, you know, the equity comes in. Yeah. In addition to the equality. But I do think that people your age and younger have really grasped that in a way that people older than me have not and will not until they they all die the fuck out i couldn't have said it better myself yeah i mean because uh, even like me sitting here talking to you had you never told me you were queer i would never have known which i feel like is the case more often than is not but we're all raised to think that you can spot someone you can know something about someone just based on their look and their mannerisms right and it, it's not to say it's a big deal one way or the other for me obviously it's not but there's still that old school thinking that I have, and then other people who maybe don't have as open minds, you know, would try to put you in a particular box or, or be super surprised or be unwelcoming. But people your age don't really seem to have hangups like that, which is super cool. I think it's great. I mean, I definitely have a number of examples to argue against that. Right, and I should, <laughs> I should correct what I'm saying. More people in your age range are open to just the overall fluidity of the world. A hundred and ten percent, yeah. I mean, I think that's fantastic. Like, why why should we ever be an ist or an ism? We are who we are. And I, I, I actually, I had this big realization of this recently is I've so many times gone up to someone for a conversation that I've never met and uh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a drummer. Uh, what do you actually do, do for, for a living? living? Right. Yeah, and yeah. it's like why do you need a answer that you understand? This is kind of a devil's advocate answer. Oh, let's go. There's a lot of people out there that don't think being a musician is a real job unless you are mega successful. I would ask them to tell me who played drums on Cher's records. I think it was Ash Sohn for a number of them. <laughs> I mean, that person probably makes more money than, than we do, but that's, that's that person's job. 
Yeah. They are a drummer, a professional drummer. Absolutely. And I mean, I think, I believe he played with Cher, and I know now he's on tour with Tori Amos, you know, and then you've got guys like, I think the thing, the thing is people don't really realize what these guys are doing. Like Chris Dave, who plays with Robert Glasper, also played on Rolling in the Deep by Adele. Oh, right. And that, that is one of the things that I think music has given me that is borderline unteachable in any other medium outside of art is the ability to improvise, think on your feet, and also fit the mold. Because what Chris Dave does with Robert Glasper, if he played that shit on Adele's records... it's Yeah, it's a different... You gotta be adaptable. When you're working a job, and it doesn't matter what the job is, you sort of have to fit into what the job expects of you. So you have to be adaptable in that sense. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I was getting at. So often, people, A want to hear answers that they're comfortable hearing and that they're used to hearing, something that's, lack of a better word, normal. And then I feel like so often it's really hard for people to see you as more than one thing. Right. People don't like thinking too much. Yeah. It's got to be a binary. Yeah. It's the seven great, uh, the seven philosophical fallacies. One of them is the fallacy of convenience. You know, okay, COVID, you know, I'm, I'm hoping it's 10 feet in the rear view mirror right now. We'll see about that. Yeah, yeah. Right. You look at the people like, oh, that wasn't, that's not real. Just that and the other. I was like, it's a fallacy of convenience. You don't want it to be real. Right. It's easier to accept that. Right. Versus. You create your own truth. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, God, what is this word? I learned a word in Spanish today. Peliculeo? I think. I mean, Pelicula is a movie. Yeah, it's like this idea. You're living in this this illusion that is the world you have manicured for yourself. Yes, you have made, made your own world and you are living in it. Yeah, I think that's the fucking problem with social media, man. Like, I'm about to go on a whole hit oh, tirade. Oh, <laughs> and it's funny because I, I have very mixed feelings about social media. I have made such great friends over the years through social media. And I, I was actually talking to a buddy of mine today who I've known for 20 years Okay. because of social media. Oh. I officiated his wedding. We're really good friends. We've known each other for 20 years and we live on opposite sides of the fucking country and always have. Yeah. So social media can be great for some things. And I think that in terms of, again, democratization of a lot of things, how many people learned about trans people because of social media? Uh, how many people learned about Black Lives Matter because of social media? And granted, there are people who take that in the opposite way and use those things to be anti. Yeah. But again, it's like how many kids have gender dysphoria and are living in a small town and only know that there is a way out or a way to be successful because they're on socials and they see other trans kids or non-binary kids like living their full lives. Yeah, there's definitely beautiful aspects of it. In my opinion, probably a majority of the negative sides of social media come from the, the corporate element. At the end of the day, Instagram is a business. Right. They want to make money. Right. So how do they make money? Oh, basically, none of your things you post on Instagram will be seen by anyone unless you give us money. Right. And also the warm, fuzzy shit doesn't necessarily make money. Sensationalist. Yes, people have realized very much in the last 10 years or so is that there is much more money to be made by pitting people against each other. By throwing negativity in the world, whether it's gossip or manipulating political differences or being sensationalist about racial things that happen in this country or in the world. Yeah, it's just a really unfortunate circumstance of this capitalist society that we live in. It really is uh, manipulative and sad that people feed into this stuff by promoting the gossip and promoting the negativity and all that other stuff. It, you know, ultimately, it, it really just comes down to being most successful when dealing in negativity and people not being thoughtful enough to stop it. I definitely agree with you, but I think there's also danger there. 
Because when we look at the internet and social media, it's it's an echo chamber. You find the group of people that you get along with the most. Usually, you have a lot of things in common. Right. And you can use that as this kind of shield against yeah. against negativity in a good way. This yeah. Where it's like this person is actually a bad human being, and I need him out of my life. But then there's you go so far to the point where you can't accept criticism that you need. Right. There's a drummer I follow on Instagram. His name's Tommy Igo. And if you go on drum forums, he is one of the most divisive social media personalities. Because he says stuff like, you know what? Your true friends are going to tell you you suck. That's absolutely right. Yeah. And if you can't take that and you can't hear that because you've surrounded yourself by this bubble of people who are just sucking your dick, for lack of a better way to put it, how are you going to grow? I agree with you there. Criticism is necessary. And just speaking on a personal level, when you have a booger in your nose, you want people around you going to be like, Mike, you have a booger in your nose. Yeah. You know, when your fly is open, you want somebody to say your fly is open. When you say something stupid... You want there to be people around you who are willing to tell you you said or did something stupid. Yeah. Uh, that's how you know who your real friends are. They call you out when you do dumb shit. Absolutely. I think at the end of the day, it's extremism is bad yeah. on either side. Yeah. It can be, you know, the most right-wing, dictatorial piece of shit on the planet. Or it can be so far to the left that it's the same level of extremism. Right. It's just a different wrapping paper on the box. We all need people around us to tell us that our shit stinks. Yeah, because it does. Because it does. Usually. And if, yeah, I, I have yet to run into an instance of there being shit and it not stinking. I feel like having been a part of the generation that was like young when social media was really first blossoming it's it looked like this opportunity of infinite potential to do amazing things Thanks. in the world mm-hmm. and then Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> I mean, it still is I think you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater definitely I think, not uh, social media and the ability to hear perspectives from all sorts of different people all around the world is super awesome. I just think you have to be open to the fact that all of these perspectives exist. And call back to something you said earlier, uh, there's no such thing as an invalid... Actually, maybe it was something the guy I spoke to earlier said earlier, <laughs> getting my guests confused. There's no such thing as an invalid perspective. I did not say that, but yeah, I, exactly. I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Because everybody's experience is different. Yeah. It's like someone saying there's no gay Christians. There definitely are gay Christians. Yeah. You can't invalidate other people's experiences. You can't say that your experience is the only experience. Yeah. I mean, that would be just so astronomically small-minded. Right. But I, there's still I, people... My, the generation before me, mm-hmm. I think a lot of them are very much... And I don't want to gen- overgeneralize. I think a lot of them are in the spot where my experience is the only experience. Yeah. Or the experience I was taught is the only experience. You you graduate college, you get a job, or you graduate high school, learn a trade, get a job, you stay in that job until you retire, you get married when you're 24, you have 2.5 kids and a dog, you buy a house. White picket fence. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, what, there was a, a quote that I, I read a long time ago that said, to think that we are the only intelligent creatures in a vast and ever-expanding universe is the most... It's small. foolish. Yeah, yeah, it's stupid. It's foolish. Like, of That's course we're not. There's non-carbon-based life forms on this planet. It's hubris to think that we're as good as it gets. Yeah, because if we're as good as it gets... Yeah, then we, <laughs> we, we, we done fucked up now. Right? Shit is right. crazy. 
Right. Oh my God. One thing that I've come to really enjoy because of and in, in addition to doing this podcast is speaking to people who thoughtfully challenge the traditional ways that we've been raised to think. Uh, in much the same way, I hope the people that I speak to here challenge the traditional ways that we view masculinity. I hope that people utilize independent thought and the mistakes that our predecessors have made historically to make their lives better and ultimately make the world a better place. Jared seems like one of those guys who is definitely doing the same thing. And uh, you can find more about Jared online at jpsdrums.com. That is J-P-E-A-S-E-D-R-U-M-S.com. And he's also on Instagram at jpsdrums. Thanks again, Jared, Thanks for being for on the show. Thanks for listening to the Detoxicity Podcast. My name is Mike Joseph. Once again, if you want to find me online, hit me up on Instagram at detoxpodguy. I'm on Twitter intermittently at tismikejoseph. You can go to facebook.com slash detoxicity. You can email me detoxpod at gmail.com. Love to hear constructive criticism. Love to hear feedback. Would love if you are a potential guest or you know somebody who you think would be a potential guest, please, by all means, reach out to me. And remember, if you enjoy this podcast, subscribe, rate, comment, do all of the things necessary to push this podcast up in the podcast rankings and get this into as many ears as possible. Tell a friend, do whatever it is you need to do. And uh, thank you once again for listening. I personally want to thank the following people for their support. Uh, Calvin Williams and Jacob Block, Jeff Giles, and Andrew Grossman. Thank you very much. I hope all of you stay well, stay safe, and healthy. Until next time.